You guys can head to classes, and if you need a Bible, just slip your hands up, and the ushers will grab one for you. Um, you're also welcome to pull out your phone and use it on that. Um, ushers grabbing a Bible for the exuberant person in the front. <laughs> we got him right now. We got uh, standing ushers helping now too. So um, we've been in, in the last few weeks. We've been uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians, and so I'd encourage you if you haven't gone back and listened, the, the first three weeks really set up what we're going to be doing today and the rest of the week. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. The first week we talked about the Apostle Paul and his role in this and, and who he is. And the second week, Dr. Voorhees came in and kind of did an overview of Ephesus at the time, which was a lot of information, but really, really beneficial for this. And then last week, we were actually in this section, um, which we're going to be in again today. So you can turn to Ephesians 1, um, chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. We're actually going to be in 3 through 6 today. But last week, I challenged you guys in 3 through 14 to not just rush to every individual word in there. I, I encourage you guys to, to apply that scripture to yourselves, to your own life and to where you are and not just run through it. And I challenge each of us to, um, to actually allow those words to sink in, allow those things to hit us and who we are and where we are at. And so this letter, the, the Apostle Paul, again, he's, he's writing it to this church in Ephesus that, that is just, is, they've just kind of lost their way. They, they've, missed, they've missed some truths and they're, they're kind of waffling and wandering in some of those truths right now. And he's trying to instill in a very gentle and beautiful, encouraging way, the truth back into them, the backbone kind of back in to the church and what's going on. So we're going to dive right in. Verse um, 3 in chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, just a pause real quick. Show of hands, who feels like they have every single blessing? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, you cheated. You were in first service. No, I'm just kidding. Every single person that's in Christ should have raised their hand. See, and this is the problem, and I think this is what the Apostle Paul is, is, is speaking into in in, in the church of Ephesus at this time, is that most of us don't believe that we have every spiritual blessing. In fact, I can tell you right now, in your prayer life, you've proven that, okay? So let me just say this. We've, we've prayed over and over again. I bet at times you've prayed for more love, right? You're like, man, I just wish I could be loving more. I, I would love more love. And it says, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, had, who has given it to us, Romans 5, 5. Maybe you've prayed for peace. Man, I just need peace in this time. I'm, I'm feeling really restless. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, Jesus saying in John 14, 27. Maybe you've prayed for, for joy. These things that I've spoken to you, that my joy, Jesus speaking in, may be in you and that your joy may be made full, John 15, 11. Maybe you're praying for strength, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians. We, we are praying for things that are actually already ours, this ever spiritual blessing, I want to kind of dig this into this. We're going to start, but before we go there, I want to, I want to pause and just go back real quickly, actually go forward to verse 6. Because the scripture that we're going to be in and the text, this every spiritual blessing and then this, the text right after it, if we miss verse 6, we miss the entirety of this section. So let's just look at verse 6 real quick. So look down real quickly. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, the beloved being Jesus Christ. So everything that we're about to see and read in these chapters building up to it are to the praise of his glorious grace. So what we're about to study, what we're going to look into, even if it's a bit of a hard subject that most of us will wrestle with, you got to remember that the, if the outcome at the end of this isn't to the praise of his glorious grace, then, then we missed it. Then, then, I've, then I've, I've misled you, or I've, I've spoken it wrong, or you've, you've heard it wrong, but if it, it does not bring you to a spot of praising his glorious grace, then you, then you missed where we're at. So every spiritual blessing, I, I set you guys up by that, by saying, 
who feels like they have every single one. Well, just in case you're wondering, if you are a follower of Jesus, you actually have this. The word spiritual in the New Testament, 99% of the time is in reference to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. I told you guys a couple weeks ago that this, this first prayer that's in here, this entire thing, is, it's a picture of the triunal God. We see the God the Father, we see Jesus Christ, and we see the Holy Spirit playing. This is a, a fairly ambiguous um, statement of the, of the Spirit, but in verse 13 and 14, we'll get a very, very clear Holy Spirit pulling in. So those of us, the Bible teaches that those of us who surrender our lives to Jesus, we have the Spirit of God put into us, infused into our heart, leading us. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus Christ, to point us to Jesus Christ, to get out of the way. And the purpose of Jesus Christ was to bring glory to God. And so we see this beautiful working of each of them. Well, as a follower of Jesus, you have every spiritual blessing. Every single one of them. And this is, I think this is the issue that the Apostle Paul was wrestling with the Church of Ephesus. Same way that I, I think it's so timely that we're here, is that none of us believe that. Right? If I say, okay, you have every spiritual blessing, well, well, that's great, I have every single thing. I have peace, and I have joy, and I have love, and I have all those things that, that I'm supposed to sing songs about and, and be in place, but how come I don't feel that way? How come, when it, when it comes to it, I really wrestle with the fact that, that I don't feel like I have every spiritual blessing. I don't have the, the power of the Spirit inside of me. I, I, in fact, time and time again, I make choices in my life that show that I'm not actually being led by the Spirit. So, so how can I have all of those things and still continue to make these poor decisions and to keep running from it? I feel like this is going to happen a lot over the next few weeks, but... Um, sometimes we're going to hear something and it's going to be, well, because God says you do. Either, either the Apostle Paul being inspired by the Spirit of God is, is a liar, which you, we don't believe he is, or these are God's words telling you that you, as a follower of Jesus, have every spiritual blessing. You have the power inside of you to heal, to, to, to be patient, to be joyful, to be self-controlled, to love you have everything inside of you. In fact, you know what? You have everything inside of you in the beloved, in Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ that we are now seated with him. We talked about last week how we get to sit, sit with him in that. What that means is that we are privy and given every single thing he has. That means that we have the power inside of us to do everything. It's not, it's not a material or, or immaterial blessing but, but a point of the divine origin of the blessing. Right, so this isn't, this isn't something that we can say, okay, well, how come I don't feel good or how come I don't have these things or I don't see them in my life? The, the truth, like I said last week, isn't our standing with God isn't by what we do. We, we hammered that in last week. I said, look, your righteousness before God is not because of anything you have or haven't done. It's because of what he has done for us. It's not, it's not in between. In fact, Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The power of God has been, been granted to us for all things in life and godliness. So you have absolutely everything in you for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, Jesus Christ, who called us to His own glory and excellence. So we have every single thing in us. But the problem is, if we're really honest, we don't, we don't really believe that. And for some of us, my, my assumption is, a very, very small amount of us is in this room is that we don't have that. 
you haven't really surrendered your life to Jesus. You don't really believe that he is Savior and Lord. And so you have not actually taken um, claim to the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. But the majority of us, we've surrendered to Jesus. We've, we've, we've claimed him as our Lord and Savior, but we don't feel like we have everything there. And this is what I think the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us, is that not only do we have that, but it, it's, it's sealed with us in the heavenly places. Now, there was a very agnostic belief or Gnostic view back then that about different levels of heaven. I don't think Paul's speaking into that, but what Paul is saying is that the, the, the entire dominion of God is where this blessing resides. Even though at this time, some of his dominion on earth may be residing with evilness in it at this point, and this not yet where his kingdom's breaking in, but in heaven and everywhere else, we have the power sealed, not just on us in our hopes that we can hold it and hang on to it, but in heavenly places. So everything we have, everything we have, we have because we are in Christ, and it's sealed in Christ in heavenly places, in the dominion of God. So we have every single blessing. We have his power to heal. We have his power to, to raise people from the dead. This is, this, is, this is something that we possess, and I think most of us are like, whoa, whoa, wait, hang on, how, how does this play out? Now, I don't recommend necessarily going over to a, a, you know, a graveyard and being like, come on now, come on. Now, like that's inside of God's will, right? But we have, we have everything. And what kills me is that we don't believe that. And I think the reason why we don't believe that is actually tied to this next verse. So see, how, how do we get all of these blessings? Is it because we're awesome? It's because I'm so awesome. That's why I got these blessings, right? No. Is it because we, were, we had a propensity to be awesome? And so God's like, oh, well, this person will be really awesome. So I'm going to say, no, it has nothing to do with us. We established that last week. Everything that we have, everything that God does for us is not a work of us. It's a work of him. So how do we get these blessings? In verse 4, we get the beginning of this. So we have every spiritual blessing. We have the Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that enables us to be gentle, kind, self-controlled. Everything that we see about the Holy Spirit in scriptures, we have that in its entirety sealed within Christ. How we get that, how we gain that, is even as he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, again, we, we set into a really interesting doctrine that there's a lot of disagreements on. It's the doctrine of election. We see biblically kind of three, three versions of, of three, three aspects of God's election. We see God cho choosing the people of Israel, but then we also see the Apostle Paul talking later on that just being chosen as a, a people of Israel does not mean that you are saved. So it's nothing to do with that. We see God choosing the Levites, a, a position. We also see him choosing um, the apostles. He chose 12, but only 11 of them were really truly saved and, and chosen. But then when it comes to salvation, which is where we're at today, we see another word used. We see chosen used here again. Now this is one of those things, again, I cannot stress this enough. This is a theology, and I, I want to be really, really clear on the front end that the entirety of this theology, no one really fully understands. Okay, I want to I be really clear on that. I think it's, it, we can find some very clear things in the scriptures here, but ultimately, when it comes to the end of it, and we say, well, we know every single aspect of it would be pride and arrogance and stupidity and honesty. Because there's aspects of this as a finite being that we cannot understand when an infinite creator created it. I can't 
proclaim or understand every aspect of this. In fact, in this discussion in Romans, the Apostle Paul says, well, how, who is the pot to, 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 to question the, the potter? All right, so we, 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 we can't fully understand this, but I want to I talk about this. It says in this that God has chosen his people before the foundation of the earth. That means just, you know, dust off the, the, blow off the dust in your brain back to Genesis. The whole creation story that happened that we know about Adam and Eve and animals and the skies and everything like that, before that happened, God chose us. And I want to say something really clear. He, he chose you. He chose me. If you're in Christ, he has chosen you. Before the foundations of the world, he has chosen us. It goes on and says he's predestined us into adoption. So that means it's a foreknown instance. Before that ever happened, he has brought us in which is actually a really, really good thing. I heard one scholar say it this way. He's like, I'm really glad God chose me before I came out of the womb because I don't think he would have picked me afterwards. Right? In fact, it, it means that God's choice was due to his own free decision and love, not dependent on our temporal decisions, mistakes, love. So he has chosen us. He's sovereign. John 6, Jesus speaking, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent, the, sent me draws him. That word draw carries, it's an irresistible force. No one comes to me except those that, that, that the Father draws to me. So what do we do with this? Well, I want to I kind of push into this argument first because I think what happens is, is if, we don't, if we don't lean into this a little bit, we either explain it away because it's not comfortable for us, which is definitely wrong. Or we, we make it all about that and then we make it, a, a, you know, that this is the end of the world if you don't agree with me on that. And that's definitely wrong too. But, but God chose you. Does that mean that, that you and I have no will? No. No. It, I would contend that it means in salvation that we don't. But, but let me just talk real quickly about Scripture that, that points out to man's will. Okay? We have, we have this backed in Scripture. Uh, Jesus says, um, whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. John three sixteen. Um, and that everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, John eleven twenty six. In fact, f- so frequently do we see the, the command of an, of an unsaved person to pursue, to, to move towards God. We see it in, in Joshua, Isaiah. We see it in um, Matthew, John, and Revelation. It's, it's all over in there. We see scripture after scripture that point us to seeing men moving in some form of will. Now, how does this collide? How does this work together? Well, we also see this. The Bible is very clear that no person receives Jesus as Savior who has not been chosen by God. We see that in Romans 8, 9, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Peter. We see it all over. In fact, Jesus gives both these truths, God's sovereignty and man's will. He see, you see both these truths in one verse. Right? This is the one verse. It says, it says in, in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come, will choose to me, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All that God has sent will make the choice, and they come. We see God's will and man's choice working one and the same. The sovereignty of God and free will of man seem opposite and irreconcilable. And in all honesty, to us they are. Let me just say it really clear. To us they are, because we are with finite mind. In fact, there was a scholar that said it so well. I want to read, read what he said. Because, see, when we, we try and resolve this, my, my fear is a lot of times we, we run to an area where we, we bend the scriptures to make them feel comfortable for ourselves. 
And that's never, never a good spot. The scholar, sa- he says this. He says, because we can't stand the tension of mystery, paradox, or anten- antinomy. I had to look that word up. We are inclined to adjust what the Bible teaches so that it will fit our own systems of order and consistency. But that, presumption is, that presumptuous approach is unfaithful to God's word and leads to confused doctrine and weakened living. It should be noted that other essential scriptural doctrines are also apparently paradoxical to our limited capacity. It is antinomies that scripture itself is the work of human authors, yet the very word of God. Well, let's, reckon, let's try and solve that one, right? How's that play out? It's um, that Jesus is fully Christ, is fully God, and fully man. Anyone got that one, like landed on that one, figured that one out yet? No. That salvation is forever, yet saints must remain obedient and persevere to the end. That the Christian life is lived in total commitment and discipline of self, yet it is all of Christ. Such inscrutable truths are an encouragement that the mind of God infinitely surpasses that of man and are a great proof of the divine authorship of scriptures. Humans writing on their own would have tried to resolve such problems. We can't handle the tension here. It's not that God's sovereignty, sovereign election or predestination eliminates man's choice. It's not that we see that. We're not some drone walking around. But we see the divine sovereignty and human response are integral and inseparable parts of salvation. Though exactly how they operate together, it's, it's hard for us to reconcile. But I don't even think that's what Paul is trying to get out of this when he's communicating this. I, I don't even think he's, he's actually really going there at all. See, what Paul's trying to remind us, and, he's, and I say us, I want to I be really clear about this. I, I challenged you last week to put your name into each individual aspect of what God has done. And that is a very good, and that's true, he has done all of those things individually for each one of you. But what's such a beautiful picture in the overlay of, of Ephesians is that he's actually doing something in community. And we'll see this in, in you know, 10 or 12 years when we get to the end of Ephesians. He, we'll see that, that our faith is, is tied to each other. That our faith isn't just some individual lone ranger running. It's actually tied to each other. When, when, we, when we sin and when we work and how we move, it's all affecting one another. And so he... Paul, which is it actually, just to scoot back a little bit, it's really beautiful that he's saying us, because here's Paul, who was Saul, a Jewish man. And he's speaking to Gentiles, and he's saying, us. He's breaking the barriers down. It's neither Jew nor Gentile. It's none of those things. It's not black or white. It's, it's us. He's saying there is no, in, in God's kingdom, there is no division in that way. It's the only division is Christ. You're either with him or not. He's saying us. A lot of people will use this theology and thinking and they'll say, well, okay, maybe God chose us or how he chose is, is where we get in trouble. Because you start thinking about family members and brothers or sisters that don't know Jesus. And you're like, well, did he choose them or did he not? Or maybe you're, you're wrestling with yourself like, am I chosen or am I not? And what's going on? Look, th- any of those questions can be, can, be, can, be perp- um, can be confronted with Scripture. Jesus himself says, ask and you will be answered. Knock and the door will be opened. Right? Like, he, he tells you, like, just come and you're going to be answered. Some people will say that God chose us because he looked into the future and he knew what would come. Well, and they use Romans 820, uh, 8.29 for that. I want to be really clear. That is so unbiblical. 
right? To assume that, oh, he just, he, God like goes, okay, well, Bren's going to do this for my kingdom. That makes it about me. It's not about me. It's about him. In fact, Romans 8.28 debunks that pretty quickly because he says, um, those who God um, predestines to salvation are those whom he has already called according to his purposes. So it had nothing to do with them. So, so then some people will, will say, well, then I guess if God's just going to save people, then we have no, no play in this, right? God just chooses people. Let's just sit back and watch him choose and watch it happen. Well, that would be a blatant disregard for other scripture. And in fact, the, the, the apostle Paul who wrote this, you know what else he wrote in, for, in 2 Timothy 2.10? Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Why would he do that? Why would he endure everything? And when he says endure everything, just so you know, he's not saying, I had to wait 15 minutes in traffic to get here. I let someone get their coffee before me. That's not, he's not talking about enduring everything. We've already covered this a couple weeks ago, but he was beaten, left for dead, shipwrecked, bit by snakes. He literally can probably say more, that, more likely than any of us that he endured absolutely everything. And he says it for the sake of the elect. Why? That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Danny talked about this last week when in, in the offering. He said, we have family that isn't yet here. We have family members that are, that are, that are our coffee baristas that are working with us, that are, that are, that are our cousins or, or family members or friends. And, and we have these family members that, that, are, that, are, that are elect, that are chosen. And as God has aligned us with them to help bring truth and life and light into them. So we should follow the Apostle Paul's role in this. Endure all things for the sake of the elect. So he goes on to say, okay, not only did God choose us before the foundation of the world, he says that we should be holy and blameless. Show of hands, who feels holy and blameless? Okay, come on, guys. Like, that's the problem. At the beginning of this, we didn't feel like we have every spiritual blessing. Now when I say that we're holy and blameless or we have holy and blameless, most of are like, I'm not holy and blameless. I'm the lack of that. I got lots of blame and I'm definitely unholy. But that's on our work, on our merit. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, I should have said, Who's, who feels holy and blameless? And every single person's arm should have gone up. Because my holiness is not rested on what I did or didn't do this last week. My holiness is in Christ and Christ alone. See, this is, this is the problem, is that most of us don't believe these truths apply to us. We like the idea of them. We, we kind of walk around them, but when it comes to like, hey, Brent, are you holy and blameless? No. I'm like totally unholy, and I got lots of things I need to be blamed for. You know, what's beautiful about this is holy and blameless was used in the Old Testament over and over again for the perfect sacrifice before God, the unspotted, the unblemished lamb. And so what, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's reusing this and saying, obviously it's not some cultish view where we need to start sacrificing animals, but now we are mor- morally blemish-free. And he's not saying, hey, hey, Bren, be holy and blameless. He's saying you are holy and blameless in Christ. He's not saying figure out how to work a little bit harder so that you can display some more holiness in your life. He's saying, no, good news, you're holy. And some of us, we love to, to run one of those, another one of those paradoxes out there, right, is that, well, I'm holy and blameless, but God still calls me to be perfect. Shoot. He's deemed me holy and righteous, but he, his expectation is perfection. 
So how, how do we walk that line? Well, we do that through his spirit. But let me, let me try this over again. Don't answer too soon, okay? How many in here have been horribly sinful this last month? So much so that you keep wondering if God's grace actually covers you. And you keep fighting that battle and you keep wrestling with that. But today you can stand up and say, I'm holy and blameless. Raise your hand if that applies to you. See, we can't even do that. Do, do you see why this is so key? I, I picture the Apostle Paul, now it was house arrest, but like I think it sounds more dramatic if he was, you know, in a dungeon, dungeon right? So he's, he's in this dungeon dungeon writing these letters and he's going, people of Ephesus, don't you know you are holy and blameless? You were chosen before you could even mess it up, you were chosen. Before what you did last week, you were chosen. Before what you did last week that you did the week before, you were chosen. Before what you're going to do tomorrow, you were chosen. And you are holy and blameless, not by anything you do or don't do, but because of what Jesus has done for you. We should be singing praise to that. Our arms shouldn't be timidly going up. We should be like, oh, praise Jesus, because if it was left to me, I would never be holy and blameless. I am never going to arrive on my own. And this is what Paul is trying to instill in the church. Believers praise God the Father because his purpose in choosing them was to bring them into a personal relationship with him. And he called him his son or daughter. You are now a co-heir with Christ. This truth is for you. He chose you, David. He chose me, Brent. He chose you, Jonathan. He chose you, Holly. He chose you, Ainsley. He chose you. And let me just save you the drama. He didn't choose you because he knew you'd actually somehow be able to follow him better than other people. He didn't choose you because he's like, well, this person will make a lot less mistakes than their spouse, so I'll save this one. No, he, he chose you because his glorious grace, of his love. In fact, in love, it, the verse 4 and 5, in love is, there's argument about where it goes. Some say in love is supposed to be in verse 4, and others say it's supposed to be the beginning of verse 5. But either way, he chose you before the foundation of the world to be blameless before him. In love, he did this, or in love, he predestined you as a child of God. So either way, it works. It's his love that chose you. So, so what do we do with that? Well, just believe it. Good luck. Have fun. Have a great week. You, you know what's unique is I, I, I get to interact with a lot of people on a fairly regular basis. And most people, if you've ever listened to anyone's story, most people always feel like their story with God was about what they did. Uh, my own personal story. So in high school, I, um, I felt like that I did. I had this like this yearning, this desire, like there's something else out there. And so I had friends in Mormonism and Catholicism and Buddhism. And so I just kind of started dabbling in all of those things. And it wasn't until about junior summer where God like wrecked me through this presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was like, oh, this is it. And about a year later, I started following it. Okay, I'm slow. Forgive me for that. But, but it was in that, that that I wrecked. And now I've, you know, lived my life that way. And, and when I tell that story now, you know how it's told? It isn't, man, I was really curious 
And I just, I just, you know, I just knew there was something else out there. You know, no, the way I say it is God drew me out. God instilled in me that there was something more for my life than what I had seen. And so I did. I looked. I looked and I looked and I looked, and he graciously not only instilled in me and drew me out, but he saved me. And I didn't deserve that. You don't deserve that. None of us deserve it. So let's just come to terms with that, okay? You're not going to be good enough. You're not going to earn it. You're probably not going to be the Apostle Paul. Just go ahead and leave that one out there, okay? But you know what's amazing? In spite of the fact that you stink at pretty much everything, God absolutely loves you. And before you could even make one sinful, gross decision, he said, you're mine. You're mine. And not because you're going to do a lot for me, although following me, you're going to do a lot for me. (laughs) Because I love you. So I choose you. Let that sink in for a second. You didn't do it to earn it. You didn't deserve it. He chose us. And see, here's why I said at the beginning, verse 6 is so important. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. Why does he do this? So we can worship his glorious grace. And it is glorious. If you know anything about me, it's amazing grace. My bet is you can say the exact same thing about your own life. So just quick little rehash of it. Who in here has every spiritual blessing? Good. Who in here is holy and blameless? Trick question. Who's holy and blameless because of what they do? Good, you're getting it. feel like we can move past this now. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to do. He's trying to remind them. I told you this last week. He's saying, fall back in love with your first love. Stop, stop forgetting what he's done for you. And, and here's the truth of this, okay? Our unholy and blameful choices are action of us actually not remembering his graciousness to us. So there is an issue there. So us just continuing to live unholy lives because, well, he's deemed me holy. Sweet, I'm out of here. Do whatever I want. Well, then you're actually not remembering what he's done for you. So we desire to to make holy decisions, not on our own strength, but through the spirit that we have and all of his strength that we have. And the purpose of the spirit is to draw us to the glory of Christ. So we have everything in us pushing us to be more like Jesus. And God is up there going, I'm going to make you more like Jesus because, well, you're a co-heir with him. And when you mess up, which you will, probably watching a football game today, you'll, you'll do something you shouldn't do, right? Maybe you did it last night. First John tells us that we have an advocate, and that advocate is Jesus Christ. It's a picture of me making a mistake and Jesus standing in front of me to God saying, no, no, God, he's ours. I got him. I got him. Look at me. Don't look at that. And that's what he did on the cross. He took it all so that I could stand holy and blameless so that you could be chosen. This was all a part of his plan before we even existed. Now, I know I'm a crier, so I wouldn't expect everyone else to do this, but this should wreck you. Because if you know what your capabilities and your propensities are, 
well, your, your ability to fail, God? In fact, let me just say this a little bit more direct. The fact that none of you are willing to raise your hand about holy and blameless tells me that you know just how ugly we can be. In light of that, seen through this truth, this should destroy us. This should destroy us into a spot of not of, of guilt where we feel like we need to do more for the Lord. No. It should spur us on in love to be with the Lord that chose me. He actually wants to be in relationship with me. What's wrong with him? He loves you. He loves you, Andy, April, Ryan, Midori. He loves you, Rich. He loves you. It's not some distant version, hopeful version of you. Okay, well, when you get it all figured out, then I'll love you. No, he loves you before you even had him. That should break us down. Because none of us is worthy of that. So when you come to this theology and this doctrine, you're like, well, I just don't theologically think you are correct. You're missing the point. The point isn't to be right here. The point is to recognize that I am deemed righteous because of what he's done. If you come to this like, it's just too confusing, I don't really like it, you're missing the point as well. Let me simplify it. You at your worst, we'll get there in Ephesians 2, you at your worst, God broke in and said, I want you. You're mine. And you know how you achieve that? Through an absolutely gruesome death of Jesus Christ. His own son so that we could be deemed righteous before him. So the band's going to come up, and we're going to worship again. And I'm going I'm to challenge you, encourage you, slightly nudge you, whichever way you like to hear it. Something that we see over and over and over again when God's presence interrupts our lives. We see it across the board biblically, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, the disciples, the first time they all worshiped him that we get it is after Jesus gets in the boat after walking on water. Right, all of them drop to their knees and they worship him. And so, so I want to I challenge you guys. I want to encourage you guys. That as we, we sing, you can stand and sing. That's great. Or, or maybe it, it's, it's time for us to, to have the proper response to a God who's absolutely holy and deemed us unholy people holy, and we prostrate ourselves. Biblically, we see this over and over again. We're to, to, to realize that we aren't even really able to stand in his presence. In fact, every single person, Isaiah, I'm ruined that he sees it. Like, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. We see that over and over and over again biblically. So I, I challenge you, whether you're in a spot where you're like, I just need to stand and worship, or where it's been an absolutely horrific week, and you need to know and rest on God's grace. I challenge you to get on your knees. I challenge you to stand and sing. I challenge you to, to just let the words sit in that he chose you in your darkest hour and still ridiculously loves you. Heavenly Father, you have loved me with a love I don't deserve. I'm so thankful that you chose me and I'm thankful that you chose us. God, in, in this world, it's so easy to, to focus on the negative to look in the mirror and to see all the things that we aren't. Lord, I pray that you'd change our perspective. 
I pray that we would be able to stand confidently recognizing that we are holy and blameless, that we are righteous, that we are chosen, that we are loved in you, in Jesus Christ. And we can, we can wear that name with confidence. Not some kind of false humility to proclaim that from the hilltops, to yell that from our hearts. And God, for those in the room that maybe are, are, are too prideful to, to recognize that, God, I pray that you just break down their heart break down the walls that they've put up. Show them that your grace is, is sufficient for them and your love is still present for them despite how much they've turned their back. God, for the person that prayed this week, will you forgive me again? God, would you remind them that you've already forgiven all of it? God, for the person that continues to, to live in spite of your truth and say, well, I don't have to follow you, God, would you, would you break them down in love so they'd be reminded of their first love of you? Remind them that you not only chose them but you chose them for purposes, for your will and your glory. But God, may we worship you for the grace that's been lavished on an undeserved people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.